Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back. Steve Oaken joining us for our International News Review. Steve, good morning. Welcome back to the studio. Great to be back in this year of elections, the 2024, more than, I think, 50 national elections, home to half of the world's population. Correct. The largest year of voting ever. So this is going to be something I am sure we are going to be talking about throughout the year. And, of course, today is a big one. Starts today, doesn't it, in Taiwan. And we've got the traditional parties up against new parties. And already China is saying, you know, this could be the thing, the uh, election that uh, that defines the the mainland Taiwan relationship going forward. So nothing at stake other than Asia's security landscape, U.S.-China <laughs> relations, and global supply chains. And chips. Uh, yeah, 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 it's, of course, part of the, the supply chain. So that's all that we have to watch and, and, and think about today. But what's interesting, in, in Taiwan – are they going to be focused on that or are they going to be voting on what counts to them in, you know, what we call in the U.S. pocketbook issues? Exactly. Ho- soaring home prices, lagging wage growth, energy future, a rapidly aging population, slowing population growth. All of those things matter at least as much to the Taiwanese voters as does what the approach to China should be. So very difficult to figure out how this election is going to go. I I think most of Taiwan is probably more sympathetic and leaning towards the incumbent party um, because they view themselves as Taiwanese, not as, as Chinese. The DPP. That they, right. But at the same time, they're the ones who own the economy who people aren't really happy with. So it's going to be a fascinating election to watch today. I'm so glad you pointed that out because that's what I was thinking. Us international relations geeks, we're all talking about this is a life and death election. War and peace is the Chinese rhetoric. But every single domestic poll I have seen, they're prioritizing housing, wages, energy security, inflation, judicial reform, social provision for the elderly and corruption. These are the issues that are preoccupying the voters today. Does that possibly lean towards the third party populist who's coming out of nowhere to challenge the two main parties. The Taiwan People's Party. That's the one. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they certainly don't have a chance really to win. I mean, in, in Taiwan, they don't allow polling. I think it's within 10 days or so of the election. So we don't know where it stood going into voting. But they were a third. They had, I think, about 19, 20 percent of the mm. vote, the, the, the third party. So they're not going to win. So the question is, who are they going to take away votes from? And then, more critically, who are they going to align with when it comes to the legislature, because you're going to have to have some type of coalition government going forward for sure. And so that's all going to play out. But certainly from at, at the core, though, it, it what what matters now, especially with the rhetoric heating up from Xi Jinping towards Taiwan, from watching the Ukraine getting invaded by Russia, mm. from watching what's happened in Hong Kong and that the one one, you know, one country, two systems. Taiwan doesn't want to have anything to do with that after they saw what happened to Hong Kong. So I, I still think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be foreign policy that's going to matter the most. And where do the Taiwanese people stay in terms of those three parties? But 
who knows, maybe they, domestic will, will trump it and they will and the DPP will lose the, the presidency. Well, we won't know the results, obviously, until tonight. But one broader point that has come out this week, you made a good point at the start of the show, Steve, about half of the world's population in terms of GDP will be voting this year. And this is not only a benchmark for that, but also we're seeing record numbers of AI, bots, fake news, a lot of it reportedly China, you know, China oriented from there. Are we going to see more of that? And, and the question is, how sophisticated will the voters be and will be able to understand what is it that is being driven by AI? How are, the, how are countries like China, like Russia, trying to influence elections in other countries? And it's certainly not, not just in, in Taiwan and not just in the U.S., but, you know, Russia's tried to interfere in European elections mm. as well. So far, voters seem to be able to differentiate, but it is going to get scarier and scarier the more powerful AI becomes, the mm. more realistic deepfakes become. It's going to be a huge issue this year. Massive, massive. And we, of course, will be covering it right here on Saturday mornings. Uh, let's move on, Steve. The U.S. Navy is warning American flagged vessels to steer clear of areas around Yemen in the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, for the next 72 hours. Uh, of course, on Thursday, the Britain and the U.S. launched uh, some 12 strikes against the Houthi rebels, targeting drone uh, repositories, radar systems, etc. Um, it was a massive, massive strike against the Houthis in retaliation for all of the mischief they've been causing in the Red Sea. Uh, is this the precursor to a bigger war in that part of the world? Well, you have, you know, you have Hamas, Hezbollah and the Houthis yep. basically lined up. A lot of them, a lot of their funding comes from Iran. They want a broader regional conflict. The rest of the world does not seem to want that broader regional conflict and that includes China. That includes, at least for now, Russia. That includes most every other country in the Middle East. So you see the UN coming out against the Houthis and what they are trying to do and, you know, and violate all international law, violate freedom of the sea, violate all protocols when it comes to global trade and global shipping. And so no one is taking their side. Um, and so they want to broaden this out. The rest of the world does not. So, so far, let's hope this stays contained. Let's hope that we can put the type of pressure globally on Iran and their, you know, and, and they, who they are backing to prevent World War III from happening or prevent a much broader regional conflict. I feel a massive contradiction though here, Steve. I mean, the US has said in quotes, they are not interested in a war with Yemen, but flip side, they will not hesitate to take further action if these attacks continue in the Red Sea, when the Houthis have already said they will continue their attacks in the Red Sea. This isn't going to end anytime soon. The Houthis are, are, they are a terrorist organization. Their slogans, their mission is death to America, death to Israel. This is, you cannot allow them to engage in terror in war, and you have to stop them from doing this. And if it's going to take the type of bombings that you saw in a country in which they have a total safe haven to operate, that's going to happen. So, you know, of course the United States does not war, want war with Yemen. This is not Yemen. This is Iran and who they are backing, and you cannot allow this but to happen. But just to come in there, I believe you said exactly the same after the Hamas attacks. Fair point, but here we are, 
tw- almost 25,000 Palestinians killed. We're at, averaging almost between 150 to 200 Palestinians dying a day now in mm, Gaza. Mm. And you said exactly the same thing a couple of months ago. Cannot stand for terrorism, must stand up to Hamas. Now we're saying the same things against Houthis. I'm sure it'll be Hezbollah next. It's not going to end. This is only going to escalate, isn't it? Well, again, though, if you look, it hasn't escalated into a broader regional conflict. This is still a conflict between terrorist groups against the world. And it, and, and certainly the world certainly being the United States and Israel. And, and it has been restrained. It could, could be and it could get to be much worse. But if you go back to what you know, the, the coalitions that are trying to contain this, they have been successful to a degree in terms of containing it. Uh, this is not saying it's been successful when it comes to what's happening in Gaza. It's not saying it's successful in what's, what's, what's happened in Israel, but it hasn't gone into a global conflagration yet, which it possibly could, but everybody's working to keep that from happening. Conflagration. Yes. Wow, we haven't used that word on the show in a long if time. If ever. If but ever. This is the kind of show. This is the kind where of show where you can say global conflagration, words. circular economy, conflagration, <laughs> tea coasters as vinyl records. People come here for everything, everything, and we yeah. deliver. Do All we right. ever? Speaking of delivering, uh, some passengers on the uh, Air Alaska flight from Portland, Oregon, were uh, nearly delivered uh, into space when the this door plug burst off the airplane uh, when the plane was uh, just after it had pressurized on a 737-9 MAX plane. They're now, the transportation authorities have been looking at it. Bolts were loose inside the uh, connecting points, I think 12 connecting points. This is a crazy, crazy story, Steve. And it seems like the parts itself from what they've initially seen when they found the parts were made to specifications. They maybe just weren't connected well. And this was a two-month-old jet. Well, they don't know. And so you have, you have two different avenues going on. The, the one that's much more important is what the FAA has done, the, the Federal Aviation uh, Administration. They have issued an emergency airworthiness directive prohibiting flights by U.S. airlines or in U.S. territory of all Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft that have this mid-cabin door plug. And so they all have to be inspected. So they're grounded until they've been inspected to make sure that they are airworthy. So this is – this is – it's not unprecedented, but it's pretty – it's certainly extraordinary to have the FAA do this. So you have the federal regulators looking at this. Where is the problem? Is the problem with Boeing? Is the problem with Alaska Airlines? Is the problem with the – you know, the contractors who make these parts. So you have that going on. And then at the same time, you have, of course, because you must have this in the United States, you have lawsuits going mm. from the passengers against Alaska Airlines as a start for the terror that they had to live through on that flight. Well, when you think about this one seat, you know, as you look at the picture and basically the entire part of the aircraft is gone. Yeah. The boy, the little boy that was sitting right next to the window, or the young boy, was sitting next to the window, 
that kid's going to be damaged for Had his life. shirt ripped from his flesh. <laughs> oh my he gosh. sat there naked from the waist up. Luckily, he had the seatbelt on. Yeah. So that's why you wear the seatbelt oh, all the time. Always wear your seatbelt. Uh, yeah. ex- extraordinary. And just to follow up on Boeing, so they had those uh, 737 disasters back in 2018-19, right? Two crashes, killed 346 people, led to the model being grounded for 20 months. Would alarm bells be ringing now around the offices of Boeing, or should they be? Well, of course they're ringing at Boeing. Um, These seem to be two different issues. One had to do with more with pilot training Mm. and how pilots understood that they should be prepared to fly the aircraft. This gets into more issues because, one, you had warning lights going off before this uh, this accident occurred, and yet they kept the plane flying. So should Alaska Air have done something? What did Boeing do in terms of this? Did the FAA inspect them properly? So now you're going to have, and I, I lived through these when I was at DOT, Congress is going to be all after DOT, especially a Republican House going after a Democratic administration on did the FAA do a good job? So you have all of those things happening, and then you have the human element going into it as well. So this story is going to stay with us, especially, you know, when you have a lawsuit where people, you know, said they thought their head would explode. Yeah. <laughs> when they were on this aircraft because the, the the that sudden loss of pressure caused the passenger the plaintiff's head to jolt they got a concussion the pressure in their ears was was intense so we have all of that to deal with um alaska i thought like i thought alaska did it you know pretty good thing in that when this happened, they apologized. They gave a full refund for the tickets. They gave everybody $1,500 and said, here's, you know, here's compensation because we know you're going to have to maybe rebook. You're going to have to do something. Maybe you have to stay in hotels. We don't want you to worry about that up front. So here's $1,500. We don't want you to sue us for millions down the line. <laughs> no, I don't think it was that. And, you know, and this is just something that the airline did the right thing. If there's legal liability, of course, the airline's not trying to get out of legal liability mm. for, for that's going to happen no matter what. That's exactly. going to happen no matter what. So I think they did the right thing. And, you know, one passenger said that, uh, well, they should have consulted with us to figure out how much money they should give us. I think that gets to be a little bit crazy. I, I, let's give credit to Alaska Airlines for, for doing the right thing in the immediate aftermath. And, and for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, uh, I've flown Alaska Airlines quite a number of times. It's a very common carrier on the West Coast of the U.S., obviously in and out of Alaska, but other destinations. It's a great airline. It's like Southwest Airlines. It's a low-cost carrier, but it's it generally has a very good reputation. So it's like their scoot. Would that be fair? Kind of like that. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's more. It's well, a regional airline. I mean, okay. So, it, but it's not a low-cost carrier. Okay. Well, uh, in it, you, I don't. So we jet I mean, star territory. It would be I'm less. It would be less expensive than United here. or some of the other ones. I would think. Um, I, when I've flown it, it has been. Oh, yeah. maybe on certain routes, but I mean, they're not. They're not a low. They're not like a scoot, though. That would okay. not okay. be. I wouldn't put them. in But that anyway, they, they've generally had a very good reputation right. over the years of having good service and you know dependable, and they fly to routes that a lot of people want to go to. So I think it's it says something about their corporate culture that they would make this offer of cash and full refunds and all of that, yeah. and not mess around with it. Right? No, that's true. And, 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 and speaking of reputations, we have to yeah. look at Apple. What a PR coup for Apple. You know the story about the iPhone? 
falling from the sky. And, and they survived. found it, and, and it, it worked. Was intact. That's <laughs> a great PR story for them. And there's, I, I've, and, you know, I, I didn't go down into the huge rabbit hole, but there's all the physics as to why it could survive that and what type of ground it landed in. So, yeah, kudos to Apple for, yeah. for coming out of this. Beautiful. All right, we got to move on quickly. Chris Christie, the Democrat. Or, sorry, the Republican uh, former governor of New Jersey who was running for president has dropped out. He was the strongest, most vocal critic of Donald Trump. What does that do now, especially for Nikki Haley, who is, might be a benefactor, and or Ron DeSantis? Well, that, in speaking of year of elections, we've got the Iowa caucuses coming up. So this is the first primary that we have in the United States next uh, week. Next week yep. for the for the Republicans. Uh, so Christie had zero chance um, in Iowa, um, and so what we want to watch in Iowa is it's his three person race. It's and it's not really much of a race because Donald Trump seems to have more than fifty points um, in terms of people voting for him. But the question is, will Haley? There's no realistic chance that Haley gets the nomination. But if you really want to play it out, you have to have Haley come in second in Iowa. She is not going to beat Donald Trump. If she comes in second and she beats DeSantis, if DeSantis drops out, they then go to New Hampshire, which is where the one state Chris Christie thought he had a chance. Turns out he didn't have a chance um, because – he is just not able to get the moderates and the independents as Haley has, but he was getting some. Christie drops out. It goes uh, – DeSantis drops out. Haley wins New Hampshire, which is the most educated liberal Republican state that there is. So is this really going to make a difference? Because then you go from New Hampshire to Nevada where Trump's going to win. Then you go to South Carolina, Haley's home state. Can she pull off the huge upset there? If she can, then we have a horse race. She probably can't. So at the end of the day, look, it's not the Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. Um, and it's just very different from the Republican Party that we grew up with. We all, or at least, I don't know, Neil, if you were friends with him, but, but Glenn and I are good friends with Frank Lavin, you know, former U.S. ambassador to Singapore, former undersecretary of commerce, worked in the Reagan White House. Republican, true, true and through. True and through yeah. Republican. Yeah. He is out freezing in Iowa right now campaigning for Nikki Haley. He came out in support of Nikki Haley. That part of the Republican Party is trying to get behind Haley. But, you know, Ambassador Lavin, Frank, he's an outlier today. It is not his party anymore. It is Trump's party. Let's see if they can make a, a what would be a last stand. But it is bitter, bitter cold in Iowa. These caucuses require people to be out for six hours. Are but They've canceled some events because of this snowstorm that's going through there right now. A bunch of of events, uh, uh, town halls and things have been canceled due to weather this weekend. And the conventional wisdom, which I completely subscribe to, is that this is going to help Trump because the people who are in favor of Trump are diehards and they are willing to freeze, mm. you know, literally in this, you know, temperature, not zero Celsius, zero Fahrenheit temperature to be out in the cold for Donald Trump because he is their retribution, he is their savior, and he is going to get their vote. And so this really helps him. But, you know, kudos to, to people like Frank who are out there in that weather as well. Just to add to that briefly, a fan-made video, I'm sure you heard about this, God made Trump to lead America. Did you see this? <laughs> no. Was shared by Donald Trump and it's now been taken on board by the evangelical Christian element of the yeah. Republicans. We, so we the saw point, that in the, 2016, though, Yeah, as but well, the point, so, the point yeah. being, Steve, is that even the, the, the branch of the Republicans that might have previously turned away from Trump, the, the Christian element, are embracing him as well. He doesn't seem to have any barriers 
to the nomination here. In the primary, he is that is that is who comes out and votes in the primary, the the true Trump believers. But the question is, what's going to happen when he gets to the general election? Is he going to be able to get voters independent? Republican, you know, former Republicans or more traditional Republicans. And he hasn't been able to show any ability to do that. And what he's saying in the campaign doesn't seem to be able to helping him in that regard either. But he is running the right strategy in this environment for this type of party. All right. We've got two minutes to talk about Zuck. And here's the headline. Zuckerberg derided for his high quality beef ranch where cows are fed macadamia nuts and beer. You don't see that headline every day. Mark Zuckerberg of Meta fame is uh, going to raise beef on his Hawaiian Kauai Island ranch. I thought it was a spoof story. Yeah, when it, I first it saw it, like I an thought it was story. an onion spoof. Yeah. <laughs> but it's real, Steve. What are your thoughts? Money. This is about money. And if, you know, Bennett Oaken uh, sent me a link to farmlandgrab.org, uh, <laughs> which shows agricultural land is becoming an investment vehicle for the rich. Mm. Zuckerberg is going to make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, because he is going to get tax breaks because he is, quote unquote, farming the land. Oh, and so it's just it's just awful what we do in the United States in terms of subsidies when it comes to these non-working farmers. Yes, you should have land for farmers who are feeding the world, farmers who are giving beer to cattle, do not be getting tax breaks. <laughs> Why does a guy need money when he's already worth $130 billion? A few hundred million dollars is not going to make any difference to Zuckerberg one way or the other. Oh, Neil, you, you have so much to learn about capitalism. He, you know, it, raising cattle is already one of the most water and energy intensive farming industries, and he's going to feed them macadamia nuts and beer. I figured a vegetarian like Neil would have beef with, with Zuckerberg. Oh, very good. Um, yes. Took me a while to come up with that. <laughs> really? Uh, really? No. Uh, that was pretty fast, <laughs> actually. But look, we're in total agreement here. How? Why are we allowing this as the U.S. government? And then why are people not protesting? What is going to be happening? Because this is going to be... A environmental hit. I mean, you shouldn't. It's one thing to raise cattle if, if you do it in the most sustainable way, and and people need their proteins. But to do it for this, it just and and to get two hundred forty thousand likes uh, on on Instagram for Mr. Zuckerberg to be proud of this. I don't know. There you go. We're gonna leave it there, Steve. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. See you next week. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.